Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 88 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online. In this episode, we discuss Syracuse football's fifth straight loss, this time to the Boston College Eagles. And as always, I have Griffin Delapena, Josh Crawford, and Sidney Suple to break it all down. The last of the major pro sports leagues kicks off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action this season. With MLB postseason, NFL and college football, and NHL in full swing, Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to Bet Online today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So, guys, we have to stop meeting like this, right? I mean, it's, this is, you know, you talk about, like, getting together with friends, but under, you know, bad circumstances. As much as I love talking to you guys every week, it'd be nice to talk to you guys after something positive happens. I mean, we could talk about the Eagles beating the Cowboys. The Philadelphia Eagles, not the Boston College Eagles. If if we want to talk about that's positive from my perspective, but I think I'm probably pretty alone on that, at least amongst the panel here. So um, as always, I have Sydney, Josh, and Griffin with me. Syracuse lost to Boston College 17 to 10. It was just an ugly game, really, right from the start. Um, nothing really seemed to go well for Syracuse in a lot of respects. There were some positives from it, but ultimately it's their fifth straight loss, the fifth straight loss on national television. After starting 4-0, they are now 4-5. and So we're just going to go around the room and get everyone's reactions to the loss. And just a quick note for those who, for some reason, were unable to watch the game and still have not heard, Garrett Schrader didn't start. Carlos Del Rio Wilson started in his place. And we don't know the status of Garrett Schrader moving forward. Sydney, your immediate reactions from whatever that was that we witnessed Friday night. You know, it's like the typical line when you're a parent and you're like, I'm not even mad anymore. I'm just disappointed. And that's kind of what it felt like in watching that game. Truthfully, you know, I felt like we were coming back to JMA Dome. We sound like a broken record, but we go in on Tuesday and there's feels like this different excitement. The guys are excited to be back at home. They're ready to clean the site and start off new. And then we go and see another still offensive performance. And I know we'll get into it later, but I thought the defense played their hearts out. And once again, we just are not able to connect offensively between whoever the quarterback is that day and the receivers. And it's just, I'm at loss for words because, you know, through that gauntlet, I understand if that happens, but now we've faced two teams that on paper were supposed to be competitive. And while the score was competitive, it still just didn't feel like Syracuse had enough in the tank offensively to win the game. 
Josh, your thoughts? Um, kind of like what Sydney said. I think more of a, to the, a degree than last game with Virginia Tech, where I think the defense probably struggled for a lot, but also um during the first half of that three game, first halves of that those three that three game ranked ACC stretch. Um, yeah, this this offense wasted another really primetime defensive performance. Um, Stephon Thompson probably had his arguably his best game so far. Justin Barron out here getting the fumble, the forced fumble and the fumble recovery with one hand. And it was just disappointing to see a team that, you know, BC is not a super explosive offense, but they didn't create a lot of, they, I think they actually rushed below their season average on the, on the ground. And also, yeah, just in, in general, like holding a team with that, with that amount of time, uh, time position and balance. Uh, what seventeen points? That was that that was an incredible effort by this defense. Probably one of their best of the season. And it was just um, it was just it was it was honestly uh, sad to see the offense kind of throw away a performance like that. Griffin, your thoughts? It's just incredibly disheartening in, in multiple different aspects with good the word. turnovers and where they occurred. I think was the biggest thing for me when you were sustaining these drives and you were going to get into BC territory or approach the red zone and it just felt like it all crumbled. And I think that game alone was a great microcosm of how this season has really went, where you're seeing these bright spots, you're seeing the defense come to play and at these certain spots and it just hasn't really all came together. And that's the point for me where you look at the rest of the season and, and how that game specifically could have gotten you on the right track to end the regular season on a high note. And now things are going to be more difficult for this team moving forward. And you almost have to um, press the panic button a little bit if things go south on Saturday. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things here, a couple of statistics I want to run through. And if you had told me that, that this was the case before the game, I would have said Syracuse won the game pretty handily. First, Syracuse averaged um, a yard and a half more per play than what Boston College did. Boston College only averaged 3.7 yards per play. Syracuse averaged 5.2 yards per play. Syracuse ran for more yards than Boston College did, 209 to 185, and averaged more than double yards per carry, 7 to 3.2, than what Boston College did. If you would have told me Syracuse runs for over 200 yards, they hold Boston College to about 3 yards per carry, and Syracuse is only sacked one time on in the game I'd say that is a recipe for Syracuse's success to win this ball game and there were multiple opportunities especially in the second half where it seemed like Syracuse was on the cusp of really taking control of the game and it seemed like each of those times there was an interception and that's where, to me, this is a game of missed opportunities. Carlos Del Rio Wilson starting in place of Garrett Schrader, 7 for 17, 37 yards, and four interceptions. And as Griffin mentioned, the first three of those, it seemed like each one of those, it was stopping what appeared to be on the road to a Syracuse scoring drive. Most notably in the fourth quarter, where Syracuse had the ball Inside the Boston College 30-yard line, he throws a slant to Amari Hatcher. The ball was behind Hatcher, and Hatcher reaches back to grab the ball, and Boston College's defensive back rips the ball out of his hands for what was the third of his fourth interceptions at that time. That was a huge momentum swing because Syracuse was running the ball at will against Boston College. They could not stop Syracuse's rushing attack, and then that happens. One, why do you throw instead of run there? And two, Amari Hatcher cannot let that 
ball get taken away from him. And three, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, if he leads Hatcher, Hatcher might have been able to turn that up and, and score on that play. So just failure all around. And then as great as the defense was, and they were, Boston College is a really good running team. And they held them to only three yards a carry. But Boston College, between third and fourth downs, converted 50% of those attempts. They were three for four on fourth down. Also, the Syracuse defense dropped five would-be interceptions in this game. This is a game where if you even catch one or two of those, I think completely changes everything about it. And we've talked about this in weeks past, the missed opportunities from the defense. This was perhaps the biggest one. We know they had multiple interception drops against Clemson, and it was worse in this game because at least two or three of those would have been deep in Boston College territory and completely flipped momentum there as well. So I think to me, disappointing, uh, disheartening is the word I think that, that Griffin used, which was a good word to use. It's also as good as the defense was, uh, I, I think, missed opportunities is is where I learn here. But let's go to that Carlos Dario Wilson performance, seven for 17, those four interceptions. Your thoughts on him? To me, I thought he didn't really look right. Something was off about the way he was throwing the football because even when he's been in there before, you can question some decision-making here and there. Um, and it, when he has been inaccurate, it's largely been overthrows. And in this one, there were a lot of underthrows, throwing behind guys, not getting the ball there when he's had guys open deep, uh, underthrowing guys by five to 10 yards. Something seemed a little bit off. I don't know if they're working on his throwing motion and, and he was thinking a little too much or what the situation was, but something seemed off to me there with him throwing the ball. I thought he was really good as a runner, but your thoughts on on what he looked like and, and if he could potentially be the quarterback of the future going into next year. We'll, we'll go back to you, Griffin. Yeah, I think I might be in the minority here, but I believe that with the game plan, that didn't necessarily really put him in the best position to succeed. There's a lot of speculation on the timeline of Garrett Schrader's injuries and when this coaching staff knew that he was not going to be able to go. What I have seen so far that makes sense and has been agreed upon is if they found out on Thursday that Garrett Schrader was not going to be able to play, that gives this offense an entire 24-hour period, maybe more, to find out what they can do to make Carlos Del Rio Wilson help you win this game. That offensive scheme was nowhere near what they should have done utilizing him as a runner and also utilizing his throwing ability and maximizing his talents. I think one of the reasons what you just said is why he didn't look comfortable. They weren't utilizing him to his strengths and, and like using his big arm. A lot of it comes down to with some of the checkdowns that he had to throw as well, not even throwing to the chains on some drives. The comfortability factor wasn't there for me, and especially for a guy that he is a raw prospect. But I wrote a lengthy article about him this offseason where you could tell his confidence level was much improved from that pit game that he played a year ago and maybe a shorter timetable of, okay, is he going to be able to play in this game? What's this feel going to be like when Garrett Schrader wasn't able to play? So that's the thing for me is when you look at the passing stats, don't get me wrong, he missed some throws. I don't think that the receivers really helped him create situation or made things easier for him to come out and, and act like he was going to solidify a win for this team. So I, I think a little bit is on Carlos, and I think he would be uh, the first one to tell you that, that he didn't play his best. But I also can't sit here and say that it's 1,000% on him. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I don't think you can ever blame one person solo on on anything. Um, you know, and 
to your point about the plan, I'm watching the game and the game plan. I actually kind of liked the game plan, but I kind of would have liked to have seen them do that the week before with Garrett Schrader against Virginia Tech, meaning you've got multiple backs in the backfield at different times, throwing a lot of quick screens, whether it's to Valari or to a receiver or even to LaQuinn Allen, and being a more run-oriented offense. You know, they ran the ball about 60% of the time in this game. I, I think that game plan would have suited Garrett Schrader perfectly. Now, what we don't know is, was this game plan set up for Garrett Schrader? And because they didn't know until Thursday, they just said, well, we got to keep the same game plan, even though we have a different quarterback out there. Could that have been part of, of the issues as well? I don't know. But I did like the approach in general. It's just, I think you would have liked to have had the other the other quarterback running it, given their talent and their skill set. Josh, your reaction to Carlos's uh, performance. I know last year we had a discussion on who would be the better option, Garrett Schrader or Carlos, and uh, you definitely were, um, I I don't want to say high, I think that's probably too harsh of a word, but you had belief in Carlos's ability ultimately and what he could potentially become. Uh, Your thoughts on what you saw on Friday night out of him? Well, unfortunately, Griffin, you're not going to be in the minority with that take because I feel kind of very similar on a lot of the same stuff that you mentioned, which is pretty much a line for us. Um, Like you said, uh, Mike, last year, seeing some of the stuff that I saw in camp from Carlos and also, like you said, in the pig game, I think that there was a, a misutilization of him. Um, I would say probably he was out of the score. I think that was that was a design QB run. But also, um, on some of his biggest streak was his arm strength. We saw really one – deep ball shot for him and a lot of a lot of the routes were like high high low routes intermediate routes between 10 to 15 yards on the field and if we know one thing about him is a like Griffin said he doesn't lack for confidence he doesn't lack for arm strength and with a guy like that in a, in a game like this honestly where you're fighting for your season it, this is if you're gonna take big chunk plays and take you know risk downfield this would have been the game to do it and he may be more apt at this part at this part of the year to do it than Garrett with some of the injury concerns. And Garrett did not not have – I don't think that Garrett's arm is as powerful as Carlos which is going arm for arm. So I can, I would definitely go with the misutilization uh, thing as well with some, just the play calling. But also I just guess in general with the, the – the, like the play calling, the drop the, – the pure amount of dropback that he had. You know, Carlos was a guy that uh, was at Florida backing up Anthony Richardson, and we know what he did in Florida, what he did in the, done, in the league, done in the league with his athleticism. And I think we could have did a, a, a better job of utilizing that, getting him outside of the pocket, getting some rollouts, not having him drop back in a shotgun, in a shotgun formation and take a beat like a more traditional pocket passer guy. So uh, also, like Griffin said, I'm it's a little bit up and down in terms of the, uh, the amount of time this offense had to adjust to uh, Carlos or what the thing, his specific strengths that he good to do to help this team win versus Garrett. But I think that honestly, some of the things that we could have done for Carlos are kind of some of the things that we could have been doing for Garrett in terms of their mobility, getting him outside of the pocket, not trying to force him to be in a pocket passer, trying to, you know, create more, you know, chunk plays down the field artificially. So I think that, yeah, while there, there was, I think the misutilization of him, um, in terms, like I said, in terms of the way that they can win, um, like both of y'all said, I don't think the receivers gave, you know, created a ton of separation. I, for one, place that um place that takeaway Elijah Lewis um interception purely at the hands of Hatcher. I'm just a, I'm a, a old school guy. The the receiver has his hands on it. He needs to come down with that ball, especially in a, like I said, it wasn't a lot of positive throws. So in a, a one that was that was slightly behind him, but one of his better balls of the night. You you got to be able to come out down with that specifically, like you said, in the situation to where this was one of the few opportunities that team had in the red zone. So. This not um this not a team that we've seen perform well on offense all year, and again, you know, Carlos certainly didn't help that. But 
kind of the same rhetoric we've been repeating all we've we've been repeating all year. You know, he could have been better, but also the offense could have helped him with the play caller and also some of the receivers on the outside. Yeah, and, and like I said earlier, that pass was was behind Amari Hatcher, but like you said, that interception I don't put on Carlos. That one I put on Amari Hatcher. You can't let a DB just turn and grab, rip the ball out of your hands like that. You, you just can't. And honestly, the fourth interception, that was their last drive. There was like a minute to go. I don't think they had any timeouts left at that point. He's just trying to throw the ball downfield and hope something happens. An interception there, I don't really blame him on that one. But, you know, it's just kind of the offense seems to be snake bitten every time they start to get something going, something happens to derail it. And the fact that Amari Hatcher had the ball ripped out of his hands on that play just kind of goes along with that. Now, you know, the, the the thing I'll say about Carlos is I think if you look at that performance and say, that's what Carlos is, he's a below average quarterback. He can't get any better. The offense can't be tailored to him. Everything is going to be exactly like what we just saw. I would be careful with that. Things in sports often don't just stay exactly the same all the time. Things change, players develop, offensive schemes change. If he ends up going into next season as the starting quarterback, they're going to change how they approach their offense with him as the leader of it. It's not going to be exactly what you just saw. He's not going to complete less than 50% of his passes week in and week out. I just, in an off season of development where he knows that this is his chance to become the starter. You know, I, I just think to immediately write him off. I I think that's a, a little bit dangerous to do. Now, if I'm Syracuse, I'm still going after someone in the portal to try to bring him in and not just say it's going to be him or Braden Davis and just be good with it. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of where I stand. So, Sydney, your reaction to Carlos's performance against Boston College? You know, it actually really reminded me of the post-game press conference that Schrader did after Virginia Tech. And two things that he said. One is that he felt like no one on the team was able to play freely. And I think, like, that's what I felt the second Carlos came in, is he felt like he needed – or he, it almost seems like he felt like he needed to be the guy – and be the one to like take him to their first win in how many weeks. And I just felt like those underthrows that we talked about that led to, you know, either the incompletions or the interception just showed that it was a lack of confidence. And it was also like overthinking, like he was trying too hard. He was too tight. He couldn't freely throw the ball. Like you said, last year he would overthrow him. And I just feel like being that backup is such a hard position, but you have to make sure you're ready to go each and every week. And not saying that he didn't prepare like he was trying to be ready, but once game time came, I don't feel like he was ever to be loose and really play as himself. So that's something that I don't think we're going to see him the next three games, but if we do, I think you're going to see a lot more relaxed quarterback because it just never felt like he was able to get comfortable. It's also very hard to get comfortable when you're not having any connection between yourself and your receivers. And I think Josh brought up a very important point is the receivers need to do a better job of getting open. They need to be creating more space. And I think the way they can do that is they just have to be more physical. And it feels like right now, who's ever on them, you know, whatever DB is and is winning the physicality battle in terms of who goes up and gets the ball. And, and I think that's where I'm disappointed because on Tuesday media day, the players talked about nothing than the fact that this was going to be a competition week and they were going to take, away all of the techniques the x and the o's and they just wanted to get the players back into the mindset of competing 
And it felt like I was watching a team who's still missing that hunger and that, that competing. They're trying to be a little too technical right now. That's causing them to think too much and make those errors. So here, here's the the last question that we have for this episode. And that is, is can Syracuse still, will they still make a bowl game? And the last three games are against Pittsburgh on Saturday in Yankee stadium. Pittsburgh is two and seven. They are eliminated from bowl eligibility. They play Georgia tech the week after that at Georgia tech, Georgia tech, plays Clemson at Clemson this this coming week. And if they lose that, they've got defending national champ Georgia the week after. So they're going to view that game against Syracuse as their best chance to reach bowl eligibility. The week after that, they play a Wake Forest team that plays NC State at home and then at Notre Dame. And if they lose both of those games, they would be eliminated from bowl eligibility when they come play in the Dome. So the fact that that Syracuse is sitting here at four and five. They've got these three games left with all of that background. We'll start with you, Griffin. Does Syracuse still make a bowl game given where they sit right now and and the games coming up? You know, I I really think that they will. It all starts this weekend in an environment that Sydney knows far too well against her alma mater, Northwestern. They just played Iowa in an MLB stadium, and I think it's going to be a very similar game. It is not going to be pretty this upcoming Saturday. I'll tell you that right now. I'm expecting a maybe like a 100-year-old-ago score when Syracuse and Pittsburgh played for the first time in Yankee Stadium. But a win's a win at this point in time. It doesn't matter if the final score is 3-2. to two. If you get a win, you're pretty <laughs> happy. So I think right now for Syracuse, you have to – and it's the most cliche thing of all time, but take it a game at a time. Just focus on right now. If you think about this next three-game stretch, it is going to eat you alive, and it's going to result in the last five games what's happened to you, and it hasn't been good. So if they sincerely just look at this upcoming game against an inferior opponent that has had a worse season than them and come out with a win, then you focus on the next two games and you just keep going down the line. And if you get to six wins, that's great because that's ultimately all that this season really needed to be to go back-to-back bowl game seasons for the first time in over 10 years. That is a win overall. It could have been better, I know, but still, if you're able to get to that final goal and have that extra game, I think that's a win for this year. Josh, your thoughts on if Syracuse makes a bowl game by winning two of their last three games? I said on here last week, if they lost to Boston College, they would not win another game this rest of the season, obvious caveat that the starter quarterback may or may not be available, so we don't know about that. But we're still, you know, as uh, Dino is still as evasive as ever, we don't even know if that can be something we can count on the rest of the season. So um, I just really can't see my this team with the way they're playing right now and the way that, that locker room is, just outside looking in, um, winning two out of the next three games. We talk about, I think, I, I said that BC was probably the least talented team they had on the rest of the schedule. Pitt looks like they're rapidly taking their place. But also, if you look at some of these common opponents, they played a lot of they played teams that we played a lot closer. Talking about Florida State, talking about a oh, I said Louisville, talking about a um oh god I just had it pulled up. Point is, we've been dominating the ACC in a way that even Pitt at two or seven hasn't been. So just um removing my uh, orange tinted glasses, I just don't see it happening for us. I'm not gonna lie. So for those listening, um, and obviously you can't see us, Josh did literally remove his glasses when he said <laughs> that. Now, they aren't orange tinted, but he did lit- – so that that was a, a very slick move on, on Josh's part. Sydney, uh, does Syracuse still make a bowl game by winning two of their last three games? Yes, as long as they win this next one. 
I think Georgia Tech's going to be a hard opponent. We've seen them have two very good wins these past two weeks for them, upsetting UNC, and they just beat Virginia. So they need to win it. It's do or die versus Pitt. They can pick up that win. I think they're going to drop one to Georgia Tech, but then finish out with the win versus Wake Forest at home. That would be the goal, but you know, just echoing what Griffin said, this weekend I really feel like this season in a bowl game is on the line. Yeah, it's it's almost too bad Georgia Tech didn't figure out a way to beat Boston College at home a few weeks ago because if if they had, then they would have ar- they already be bowl eligible at this point, and the game against Syracuse wouldn't mean all that much. But mm-hmm. I feel like, and then maybe you get them looking ahead to the Georgia game, right? Because that's a huge in-state rivalry game, but. This, I think they're going to look at it as we don't want to have to beat the number two team in the country, George, the two-time defending national champs, in order to get to bowl eligible. And mm-hmm. so they're going to look at that Syracuse game at, and play desperate. And I think that's a dangerous spot for Syracuse to be in. That's how Syracuse needs to play this coming weekend. Desperate, ticked off, and and looking to turn things around. So I'm going to say this. I think Garrett Schrader plays against Pittsburgh. I don't have any specific inside knowledge on that. It's just kind of a gut feeling. I think he plays against Pittsburgh. I think Syracuse figures out a way to beat Pittsburgh. They've got a lot of issues. Uh, Their quarterback play has been horrendous all season. Uh, Their coach made a comment a couple weeks ago. They don't have any good players, and all the the players seem to note that. And now the fact that they are eliminated from bowl eligibility, I think they played Pittsburgh so tough, or I'm sorry, played Florida State so tough last week is because they were desperate and knew they had to win that game in order to keep bowl hopes alive. Now that that's done, there's I think there's going to be a natural sort of uh, letdown and loss of intensity because that is off the table. And so Syracuse beats uh, a reeling Pittsburgh team in Yankee Stadium. It'll be the second year in a row where they've been on a five-game losing streak and the second year in a row they played a rival against uh or in in a spot where the rival had nothing left to play for and uh you know Syracuse gets gets the win in that spot so I'm going to predict they win that game I agree I don't think they're going to win at Georgia Tech and then that makes uh, the final home game of the season a very interesting one where I do think they'll uh, take care of Wake Forest in that scenario now in the scenario where they don't win this week then I think they're going to end up going for an eight and if you end up at four and eight after starting four and oh, I think you're going to end up uh, with uh, a new head coach the following season. That's that's my prediction for how that will end. And, and Griffin is making all sorts of gestures and thumbs up and thumbs down at us. And while, while we're recording this, I'm trying to keep a straight face and he's making it very difficult. That said, um, I appreciate everyone. We are going to have another episode this week, a special episode later in the week where we talk about Syracuse basketball because men's and women's basketball seasons start Monday and Tuesday. So we'll be recording it after the women play their first game and the men play their first two game. We'll discuss that in the episode later this week. And a quick side note, Syracuse men's soccer beat Virginia in penalty kicks and advanced to the ACC tournament semifinals. So keep an eye on that. For Sydney, Josh, and Griffin, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. 
Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.